This is going to be a good one. Dr. Douglas Degler is an internist and primary care physician with St. Luke's University Health Network. This is a very special edition of My Little Town as Dr. Degler is also my physician. And today he's in my examination room. So good morning, Dr. Degler. How are you, man? Good morning, Gary. I'm doing great. We've been talking about this for a while. I'm so glad you came down to the show this morning. Oh, I'm happy to be here. This is exciting. Now, are you originally from the area? I am not. Where are you from? I grew up outside of Reading. Okay. So not far from here, about an hour and a half. Why did you settle up here in the Poconos? Well, uh, I took a bit of a torturous path across the country. <laughs> I, uh, I went to med school at Georgetown and spent four years in the Beltway there. So that was an interesting experience. But I had taken an Army scholarship to pay for medical school. So the Army took me out west to Fort Lewis, uh, Tacoma, Washington. I was there for three years and then down at Fort Bragg. So I did four years of payback uh, at Fort Bragg, and I have family in Reading and Lancaster. So my goal was to get back up closer to home to raise a family. Why did you choose primary care? Well, originally when I went to medical school, I thought I wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon. So early on, they set you up with a doctor uh, in your chosen field. And I got set up with an orthopedic hand surgeon. And this gentleman had nine exam rooms full of patients. Wow. And he would go from one to the other, and he would not uh, remember the patient's name from the time he took their chart <laughs> off the door till he went in and, and greeted them, usually not with a handshake or anything else. It was, it was just all business. And I realized at that point that I just needed to have a better connection with my patients. And so I did a complete flip and went into primary care from there. Why is it important to have a primary care physician? Well, there's a lot of reasons. I think um, you need to have a trusted partner in your health. There's a lot of uh, uh, information that you can get from the internet and social media and sometimes assimilating that information into what's actually factual and what's actually going to help you um, is is a difficult task because sometimes you can read a very compelling argument about one product or one diet or one you know exercise activity and then you can read an equally compelling argument that totally contradicts that so having a, a, a healthcare partner can uh, can help you sort through the wheat and separate that from the chaff. And um, for me personally, I've realized over the years, the the best part about being a doc is the relationships. So getting to know my patients, getting to know what makes them tick, um, helping them, you know, over the years and gaining their trust. And there's nothing more valuable than that relationship to me. Can I ask you, how many patients do you have now? I don't really know. Probably right. probably around 2,000. Do you ever encounter a language barrier when a patient really doesn't have a uh, grasp on the English language? What do you do then? Um, I have not encountered that recently. Right. I don't <laughs> okay. speak any other languages. I have a couple of Spanish-speaking patients, but we've always had staff in the office that can help to translate. And what I do is usually have them bring a family member or a friend that can help to translate. 
We're talking to Dr. Doug Degler this morning from St. Luke's University Health Network. They are the sponsor of My Little Town. They're online with a great website at sluhn.org. Doug, why should someone see their primary care physician? When should they go to urgent care or the ER? What is the difference between all these three here? Well, I think most things should be seen in the primary care setting. Okay, the exceptions to that, if you're having stroke-like symptoms, if you're having chest pain, if you're having fever, mental status changes, those type of things really need to go right to the emergency department. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, Minor illness, um, colds and flu, I would still say try to get in with your PCP because that's somebody who knows you rather than go into an urgent care. But urgent cares are are valuable for minor injuries, um, you know, sprains, strains, maybe fractures, uh, lacerations, those type of things. Uh, Throughout the the COVID pandemic, the urgent cares were invaluable for setting up the testing and screening and, you know, uh, putting themselves out there on the front lines to examine people and sort of say, hey, you need to go to the hospital or you'll be fine, you know, going home with this. What's a day like for you? Does it start at the hospital seeing your patients and then do you go over to the office? Typically, I, I get up pretty early in the morning and I get on the computer and sort through uh messages and lab results, med refills, and uh, then I'll look and see which of my patients are in the hospital and read up on all of their tests and vital signs and, you know, sort of plan my day, what time do I need to get into the hospital to make my rounds, you know, talk with consultants, and then I usually start in the office uh, seeing patients at about 930. Gotcha. I saw you when you were on Brown Street. Then you moved over to 209 for a while across the street from the Dairy Queen. Then they moved you again, right? So where is your office now? My office is on Lifeline Road, which is uh, right down the street from the hospital uh, on 611. And it's a a fantastic uh, new office. I love it there. It's kind of like old school. When I first came to town more than 20 years ago, I was in the basement of the East Brown Street building and now I have a very small environment with uh, myself, Jody Nisley is a nurse practitioner, Amanda Whitewood is a physician assistant, and we are all working together as a team for patients under my name. Great. What are some of the recommendations you make to patients to keep them healthy? What should they be doing? Well, I think the, the three main staples of healthy living are Having a healthy diet, I recommend Mediterranean diet with lots of fruits and vegetables with a variety of colors. That way you get all your vitamins and nutrients. Uh, Staying away from processed foods. Um, You need to get good sleep. A goal seven hours a night is, uh, is something that I strive for and try to tell people to get. And then exercise every day. You got to be active. You do exercise every day. What do you do to keep healthy? In the, what sort of exercises do you do, Doug? Well... <sighs> Primarily, I'm a cycling enthusiast, so I have a lot of different bikes for a lot of different seasons. I'm kind of a recovering triathlete, so I I gave up the run, but I still swim. I do some weight training. I do some yoga. So I try to do something every morning in between my computer time and my hospital time, and then uh, a couple of nights a week, I'll get out on the bike, and on the weekends, usually on the bike. Where do you swim in the area? Well... I used to swim at the YMCA, but that got old getting up really early in the morning and carting all my gear. So I put uh, what's called an endless pool. I put it off of the back of my house in a little sunroom, and uh, it's been phenomenal. Cool. 
Talking to Dr. Doug Degler from St. Louis University Health Network. I'm seeing a ton of TV commercials these days for balance of nature, fruits and vegetables in a pill form. Do you recommend this or other supplements to your patients? How do you feel about this stuff? I really steer away from those things. Yeah. I mean, there's so much out there, and these dietary supplements are not regulated by the FDA, so they can say whatever they want, and they don't need an ounce of proof. Wow. They don't have to even have the ingredients that they say they have in them. So I, I really advise buyer beware. Yeah. Um, you know, it's probably fine, but it's probably a waste of money. You know, I think the balanced diet is, is the way to go. Is it possible to take too much vitamin D? Too much vitamin D. Well, um, it's hard to take too much vitamin D. I've seen maybe one or two cases where the levels were higher than the normal range. And I would say most patients are um, in the borderline or low area on their vitamin D. So we do recommend supplementing some vitamin D, usually about 2,000 international units a day. Talking to Dr. <clears throat> Doug Degler, you're board certified in hospice and palliative care. Tell us more about what that's all about and why it's important, Doug. Well, hospice uh, and palliative care, they're two separate things. Palliative care is taking care of symptoms. So you can do palliative care while you're aggressively treating a cancer. So palliative care is taking care of the pain, the nausea, um, the depression, you know, emotional uh, turmoil and those kind of things. And uh, you can do that concurrently with aggressive chemotherapy and surgery and that kind of thing. Um, hospice care is purely palliative care. So hospice care is when you have decided not to pursue aggressive treatment or cure of the disease process, and you are focused 100% on taking care of the symptoms. And generally when you sign on to hospice, well, what happens is you give up your medical insurance, your insurance pays for the hospice, and the hospice takes care of you in your home. They'll bring nurses to the home, aides, uh, chaplains, social workers, and try to just optimize the, your quality of life with your family in your preferred environment. Gotcha. This is a serious, <clears throat> serious question. Do you have a favorite antibiotic? A favorite antibiotic? <laughs> Wow, I have never been asked that question. Any of any of my patients that are listening out there are saying, "No, he never gives uh, us antibiotics. He hates antibiotics." Oh, um, he was Cipro guy. Anyway, you know. Well, I'll tell you what. In the early days, Cipro was uh, Cipro was great. Leviquin was great. But over the last five years, those two antibiotics have really been um, scrutinized because of potential side effects. Okay. And uh, you know, there's tendon rupture and concern for aortic aneurysms and things like this. Um, so we really have to be backed into a corner to use one of the fluoroquinolones right now. So, you know, doxycycline is a great antibiotic. <laughs> I think Zithromax, when it came out, was, uh, you know, the greatest thing since sliced bread, but it got so overused that now there's so much resistance to Zithromax that it's... Is, is that what happens? They come out and then Americans develop a resistance to these? If you're exposed to too many antibiotics, you're, the bugs that it, they don't kill get a little bit smarter and a little resilient. Wow. So the next time you get an infection, the ones that were left behind from your last infection are say, hey... I'm smarter than you, and uh, wow, that's, a, that's you're not so gonna, interesting. You're not going to work on me this time. So, which one do you prefer these days? For depends on it, the infection. It, it, it depends on the infection. 
I thought that was a good question. We're here with Dr. Doug Degler, St. Luke's University Health Network. We've got a quick break here, and we're coming back with all yours. And my doctor, Dr. Doug Degler, is here this morning with me on My Little Town. Are you allowed, can you write a prescription for yourself? What are the rules about that? Uh, I cannot write a prescription for myself. Huh. So I need to have uh, my own primary uh, provider and... Uh, yeah, St. Luke's has a policy about uh, you know not writing for yourself and not writing for family members. So you can't have a family member as a patient. That's correct. So, so your wife has to see her own doctor if she's that's, got to complain about something. That's <laughs> correct. <laughs> Is there a shortage of medical professionals in the Pocono area, Doug? Yeah, we could use uh, more in all aspects. Uh, we're heavily recruiting for primary care, and there's subspecialists that we haven't seen in this town. And yeah in years and so i work with uh uh don seipel the hospital president i know he was on here last week or the week before and you know we get together every couple of weeks and talk about what do we need how can we get them here and st luke's network has been very responsive uh as far as providing us the specialists that we need in the hospital um but we could still use more of the subspecialists in town so that our patients don't need to go down into Easton or Bethlehem yeah. in order to be seen. President Seipel was telling me that recruitment is his biggest challenge over there. And you do have some great training programs. If you uh, commit yourself to a two-year program, St. Luke's will even pay for the training. I think that's terrific. Oh, it, graduate medical education, the nursing school, they're just taking off over the last decade. It has been really fun to watch. Doug, if one of my listeners is thinking about a profession in the medical field, any suggestions on which field they might want to pursue? I think they're all great. You just have to um, think about what you're most interested in. How, you know, how much schooling do you want to go through? How much patient hands-on do you want? How much technology? I mean, there's uh, x-ray technicians, MRI technicians, nurses. With a nursing degree, you can do so much. And what I've seen over the years with nurses, you know, they start as a med surge nurse on the floors taking care of people. They move into ER, they move into ICU, they decide to become a nurse practitioner. They, you know, there's so many options uh, after you get your foot in the door with nursing. It's a very noble pursuit. You, I mean, you go home feeling great, don't you? Absolutely. Yeah. Winter is coming, so is cold and flu season. Any recommendations for people to keep them healthy this winter? Well, I think everybody needs to get a flu shot for sure. Um, I know there's a lot of controversy that surrounds COVID and the COVID vaccinations, yeah. but I am recommending the booster, especially for the vulnerable people, immune compromised people over 65, um, except those who've had a recent COVID infection within the last three months, then they can put that off a little while. You're pro-vaccine all the way, right? Absolutely. Yeah. How can America improve medical insurance? Do you have any ideas about that? Wow. It's, a, it's, it's another big <laughs> that's one. That's a little, that's beyond the, the scope Is of this conversation. Your... <laughs> yeah. Um, beyond your pay grade here. I think that, you know, the medical insurance, there's so many tiers of where our healthcare dollars go. And I think that needs to be really scrutinized yeah. and tightened up a little bit. Having spent seven years in the army, I thought that I had an arm tied behind my back having just that one payer system, but actually there were so many benefits to that. Now, I'm not saying that uh, 
you know, the United States would never go for a one-payer system because we can't get together on much of anything. So. What, what do you mean by one-payer system? Well, when I saw a patient when I was in the Army, I knew that every patient, every time, was had the same options available, the same drugs, the same imaging. You know, there wasn't a whole bunch of different red tape to go through for Geisinger insurance or Aetna insurance or Medicare and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So it was just streamlined. Gotcha. Uh, it seems that some <clears throat> countries in the world, though they have free health care, universal health care, would that work in America? What do you think? Well, anybody who spent any time in those countries, um, they realize that free is not necessarily uh, speedy. My brother spent a year in England, and his neighbor was a nurse, a registered nurse, and she broke her ankle. And she was out of work for nine months in a wheelchair because that's how long it took to get her scheduled for wow, her surgery. Wow, wow, wow. In this country, if you break your ankle and you need surgery, and if you don't have medical insurance, you go to the emergency department, they take care of you, they call the orthopedic surgeon, they put you in the OR, and you're taken care of with or without medical insurance. Gotcha. So the mentality in the United States would not allow for that delay in care. There, there is a downfall to all that, that free and universal health care. So that's, that's very interesting. Uh, Dr. Degler, it's great to see you this morning. I, I, I'll be back in November in, in your office. I guess, uh, how's your A1C while, while I have you here? Is, is it going to It's okay. <laughs> See, do you get angered any time when patients don't take their health as seriously as they should? Does that ever get to you? Early on, I got very frustrated when it seemed like I cared about my patient more than they cared yeah, about yeah, themselves. Yeah, yeah. And then I sort of realized my frustration, and I found some ways around it. So I just try to look at the patient as an individual and find the buttons to push to make them care a little bit more. You really love what you do, I can tell. And I, I'm so happy you came in this morning. It was great to be here. Dr. Doug Degler, St. Luke's University Health Network, Monroe Campus. They've got a great, that website is terrific, isn't it? It is. All right. S-L-U-H-N dot org.